Alright, so Mark 1, I want to, this is going to be a simple little Bible study and I want to give you a history and, and maybe uh, commend the book of Mark to your reading this week. And if we want to, after that, next week, if you want to get into apologetics or you want to get into theology, I can even teach Greek if you want me to teach Greek. Really? <laughs> but uh, I've, I've got a Greek class right now that I'm trying to teach uh, to online to anybody that wants to take it. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to do anything you all want as far as teaching the Bible and teaching the scriptures. Um, I don't know how to teach Spanish, but I, I can teach you some Greek. And uh, I've been working on trying to teach that as well recently. So it's whatever you all want to do as we go forward. But I figured it would be a good place just to kind of introduce the book of the Bible to you. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I guess if, you were gonna, if I was going to introduce the book of Mark to you, I would say that Mark is like a, out of all the gospels, you know you've got four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Mark is like, like an action film. Uh, in the King James, you have this word that keeps showing up in the book of Mark. It's called, he says, straightway. And that's just a different way of saying immediately. And if you're reading the book of Mark from the beginning to end, take you a couple hours if you just wanted to do it in one sitting. You would be out of breath by the time you got done because this is how it unfolds. It's like this happens and immediately this happens and immediately this happens and immediately this happens. And all throughout the book, uh, it's a gospel of it's, it's like an action film and it's it's straightforward and falls out like like you're watching a movie almost where you're going from one scene immediately to another scene and immediately to another scene. And while there's chapter divisions, but the chapters, you know, were not originally part of the scripture, uh, except for like the book of Psalms. <laughs> the Psalms had some had had were numbered and things. But other than that, what you have, the chapters were added much, much, much later. But really, they help with the book of Mark because because uh, the first eight chapters give you three years worth of history, really quick, one after another, of his work and his ministry and the things that are happening in that. And then in the last eight chapters, you have the uh, last week of his life, all condensed down within eight chapters, where successively you're going to one scene to another, where you have him ending at the cross, in his death, and his resurrection. Now, how many of you all know what the word gospel means? What does the word gospel mean? The good news, all right? So that's how he opens. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel. So, so uh, communitively, the whole book is, he's wanting to unfold and tell you what the good news is. And in order for you to have good news, what do you have to have first? Faith. Well, <laughs> faith, yeah, it's asking you to exercise your faith. But really, there's bad news. What's the bad news? If, if Mark is introducing his entire book saying, this is the beginning of the gospel, this is the beginning of the good news, then you've already assumed that there's some really bad news out there. And what is the bad news? The bad news is, is we're lost. The bad news is we're sinners. The bad news that, and there is a such thing as sin, that little three-letter word that no one wants to talk about, uh, like the word God and like the word sin. Uh, we, we don't want to mention 
that word, but it's a reality. I was just teaching the kids today, uh, high schoolers, um, and I was trying to tell them there's there's really no difference than between them and the worst person they know, except for a couple choices between <laughs> between them being right where those people are. Uh, and it's potentially in our heart to do some of the most evil and the most rotten and the most terrible things. <clears throat> and we all know that in our own experience. Um, I, I learned that when I was a kid. Uh, I had this incident where I took a pair of scissors and I cut up my grandma's curtains when I was four years old. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. And then she asked me, Jason, did you cut my curtains? You know what I said? Nope. No. <laughs> I knew it was wrong to lie and I lied anyway. And I, I, I realized then that I'm capable of doing just about anything. I'm, uh, there's a... There's a uh, Charles had Charles had the Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, once watched a uh, watched a man being taken to a gallows, a, a famous a famous murderer of his day, and he said, "But for the grace of God, there go I." There's bad news. We're sinners. Here we're being introduced to good news. The good news. It, it, it's it's Mark is written to show us something, and I want to commend it to you because I'd like for you, like to commend the gospel to you all to read. Mark is meant to show us the servant of God conquering on our behalf. We see what these we see in Mark the great works. More miracles are recorded in the first eight chapters of Mark than the of the rest of the gospels together. And it goes from one scene of him conquering this and then conquering that. And he's shown as the servant of God um, that is conquering on our behalf. And it's written to a Roman audience. And why is that important? Uh, well, we have three Gospels of the four that are called synoptic Gospels. Anybody have an idea what the word synoptic means? Anybody have the idea what the word optic means? See. To see. All right. Synoptic means you're seeing something together. So there are three Gospels that are considered synoptics. That's the first three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why are they called synoptics? Because if you read all three of them, they have a lot of the same stories. They have a lot of the same material that they're covering. Not they all have certain things about them that are similar, but they're not, or, or that are different. But uh, they all tell the same stories from different points of view. Uh, Matthew was written to Jews. Um, Luke was written to Greeks. Mark is traditionally written to the Romans. And therefore, it had different different perspectives from which you're written. written. Uh, so it, Mark rounds off that perfect synoptic view of those three Gospels. And of course, you get the John. John has more original material than the other three, and therefore it's not considered a synoptic. Uh, some believe it was written uh, first. Uh, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, Mark was the very first one written. I don't, I, I, I take issue with that. Um, and... I don't think it's really important, but I do want to say this to you all. Uh, Mark was written very early. I think Matthew was probably written first because James was written very early before the, before the events of Acts 15, so probably in the early 40s, 80-40s, James was written, and James relied on Matthew, so Matthew was written before that. Mark was probably written in the late 40s, 80s, but it was written within 15 years or so of the actual events that he was written about. And that's important. What we have here in Mark, as well as what we have here in the rest of the Gospels, 
is what Christians actually believed. The first century Christians, the people who actually saw Jesus alive, this is their faith that we're reading about. Uh, some people will say, well, uh, uh, Christianity is a myth that developed over years and years and years. And then about two or three hundred years later, Constantine come and he gathered all these books of the Bible and, and, uh, and, and he rejected all the, you know, you get the ancient aliens kind of stuff from History Channel and all, all that stuff. And he gathered all the books and banned all the ones he didn't want and created Christianity after three hundred years of myth making. When you're reading the book of Mark, as well as the book of Matthew and the book of James, you are literally reading what the early Christians believed and taught. Uh, this what the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the, the greatness of Jesus Christ was what they believed. And our faith, we can trace it all the way back to the time that Christ lived and walked on this earth. And that's, that's, that's me as an apologist, uh, apologist speaking there. Uh, uh, I, I can read first century people like Ignatius. I can read second century people like, uh, like uh, well, not Polycarp, uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria. I, and they believed what I believed. Why? Because they received this that was written the same time Christ, around the same time by the people that actually saw Jesus Christ. Um, so some, some believe it was written first, I, 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 but it was definitely written sometime around A.D. 14 or so. And I want to tell you a little bit about Mark, um, just about the person. Uh, Mark wrote this book somewhere between the events probably of Acts 14 or 15 where he shamefully left Mark had some problems, and he ended up falling and, and failing in the ministry and ended up leaving the ministry. And there was someone who cared enough about Mark to put his arm around Mark. His name was Barnabas. He ended up, he was his uncle. And he put his arm around Mark and restored him to the faith. Sometime after Acts 15, when that happened, the book of Mark was written, or at least the events that were recorded in Acts 15. Um, and, and I want to tell you a little bit about that as we go forward. Re regardless, it's an early gospel, and it's, and it's also a gospel that borrows heavily from Peter. Uh, Peter, as we're going to look here in a second at the scriptures, uh, Peter says he's my son in the faith, much the way uh, Paul called Timothy his son and Titus his son. Uh, Peter called Mark his son in the faith. And as you read Peter... Uh, as you read Mark, rather, you're, you're hearing a lot about Peter, some very embarrassing details about Peter, <laughs> like, uh, like, like, like him saying stupid things. <laughs> One of the reasons we believe the New Testament is authentic is it's got a lot of embarrassment in there. These people like Peter and James and John were not trying to flatter themselves and make themselves look like good people. They made themselves look like cowards. <laughs> they made themselves look like idiots sometimes. Uh, why? Because they were writing real history. Um, they, they said we were stupid. We didn't even believe. Uh, when, when they came to arrest Christ, we ran like cowards. Uh, that, that, that's because they were writing about themselves. And Peter as B, Peter was definitely, definitely borrowed from as far as writing the book of Mark. So who is Mark? Well, if you're reading a letter from Paul in the, in the New Testament, he says, I'm Paul. <laughs> 
Uh, he says who, who it is that's writing from the very beginning. James says James. Mark doesn't mention himself. And, and in fact, you're not going to see Mark in the book of Mark at all. Unless there's this little place in Mark chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane where he just out of nowhere talks about a young man that was at the Garden of Gethsemane who had a linen cloth uh, and uh, wrapped, wrapped around him and a soldier grabbed him to, when, when Christ was being arrested and he fled away leaving his linen cloth running away naked. I don't know why he's telling the story. And some people surmise, well, that's Mark telling about himself. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe that was Mark in Mark chapter 14, the young man that ran away from the arrest of Christ naked because he was afraid. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's, just, that's just conjecture. And if we ever get that far in, in a study or anything and if we want to go any further in the book of Mark, uh, but we, can, we, can do, we can do that. Um, he, he's, he was an early disciple. And what we know he's an early disciple because... Uh, turn to if you got your Bibles. Let's let's go to uh, uh, Acts chapter twelve. And one of the reasons I believe that we probably have Mark written in uh, sometime in the mid forties, eighty forties, is because Luke introduces us to Mark for the very first time here in Acts twelve. And you got to forgive me. I'm working off notes, and I didn't even write where this was. But what we have here in Mark 12 is, is, is uh, Luke mentioning Mark. And apparently the people that read the book of Acts for the first time knew who Mark was. So Mark must have already made his mark at the, at this, at the point in time Acts was finished. So we, we surmise that the book of Mark was already written before the events of Acts ever, ever came to a close. Uh, so... His mother was Mary, and I think it's around verse 12. Um, just to set the context of Acts 12, Peter got arrested by Herod. Uh, this is Herod the Great's son, the same one that you know was killed John the Baptist. Um, and Peter's in prison, and an angel comes and, and, and brings Peter out of prison, and Peter thinks it's all, he thinks he's uh, just dreaming this whole thing, and he finally wakes up, and he says, oh, I'm going to go to church. So he goes to someone named Mary's house in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. He says, and when he had considered, when he, Peter, had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying, and they were praying for Peter. Mary may have been one of the early women that were following Jesus and ministering to Jesus. Uh, we, we believe Barnabas, who we later learn in Colossians chapter 4, was the uncle, the sister of Mary, was possibly one of the early disciples, the, the 70 or things like that, that were following Jesus. So Mark was a young man. His mother was a follower of Jesus. At this point, his uncle, Barnabas, was a follower of Jesus as well. And he apparently, they, she was host, his mother was hosting the early church in her home. Uh, and that's, so that's who Mark is. He's John Mark. And Peter went there after the angel released him from prison there in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. So he was shortly after that chosen by Paul and Barnabas to accompany him on the first journey. While you're in Acts 12, I want to, uh, let's, let's, uh, Acts chapter 12, in verse 
the very last verse, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And then the very next verse, they're sent on a missionary journey to, to, uh, to uh, Paul's first missionary journey where he goes and preaches the gospel. So in chapter 13, we have something that happens in verse 13. After Paul ran into some trouble in Barnabas, it says in verse 13, Now Paul, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they went to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed, that's Mark, departed and returned to Jerusalem. So what does this mean? He quit. He went on the first missionary journey, and he says, I can't do this. I can't follow Christ. I can't. We don't know the reason he quit, but he gave up on Christ and he quit. When you're reading the book of Mark, you're written, you're reading apparently someone, because look, look at this, go to Acts 15. Apparently that someone who left when he shouldn't have. Someone who was afraid, someone who ran into opposition, someone, whatever reason, he stopped following Christ. He stopped doing ministry. He stopped following the Lord. And it was scandalous because Paul says he deserted us. Uh, so we have here the last part of 15, Acts 15. It says, it says in verse 36, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us again go visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word and see how they do. Verse 37 and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him, and to, because he departed from them in Pamphylio and went not with them to the work. So he just quit on the Lord. For whatever reason, he abandoned the people that he was trying to help. And if it wasn't for a man named Barnabas, to restore to to restore him. It says Barnabas took him. The contention became so bad between Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to bring Mark on a journey with him that Paul and Barnabas fell out. Barnabas uh, Paul picked Silas and went on his next missionary journey, and we read on that in Acts 16. And it says here, it says, and the contention was so sharp in verse 39 between them that they departed asunder from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. What was Barnabas doing? By the way, do you know Bar Paul would not have followed Christ if Barnabas didn't bring Paul along? We've learned that in, in, in the early books of Acts. He, Paul went back to, back to his hometown and was going to just do nothing. <laughs> and Barnabas went and sought Paul and brought Paul into the ministry. And we read about everything that Paul did after the Barnabas brought Paul into the ministry, here he was doing the same thing with Mark. He cared about Mark enough to say, Paul, you go your way. I'm going to focus on Mark. And I'm going to take Mark with me, and we're going to go somewhere. And I'm going to work with Mark. I'm glad about that. Every one of us, if we're, it, it, every one of us have had people in our life that have invested in us. Some more than others, but every one of us have had someone in our life that cared enough to tell us the truth, tell it and tear it in us, to, to bring us along, to, to, to sit down and, and work with us. That's what Barnabas was doing. 
And you know, because of that, we have the Gospel of Mark sitting in front of us. Mark would have fell out and quit and stopped following Christ altogether and done nothing. But someone cared about him and said, I want to invest in him. And the work wasn't in vain. We don't read much about Barnabas after this. Uh, we assume that at some point he died not too long, uh, long after this, uh, possibly a martyr's death. But, but his work is important. Because he worked with Paul, we have the letters of Paul. Because he worked with Mark, we have the, letter, we have the, what, the gospel of Mark sitting in front of us today. Uh, so it's, it's a wonderful thing. Mark appears after apparent, the apparent failure, again, right here. But that's not the end of the story of Mark. So Barnabas invests in him, and because of that, he ends up becoming reconciled to Paul himself. Colossians 4.10, I alluded to this a second ago, and I'm getting somewhere. We're going to get to the actual words of Mark. But Colossians, uh, that's uh, in your New Testament. <laughs> Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? After the letters to the Corinthians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. This is Paul in prison for preaching the gospel. And here is someone by his side. He says in Colossians 4 and verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, salutes you, and Marcus, sister, sister's son, the Barnabas. We find now Mark is with Paul while Paul's in jail. Years later, he is. And then Paul writes another letter around the same time to Philemon, just a few pages over, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Philemon, Titus, Philemon. And then he says here, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. He asked, he asked Philemon to salute them. He calls Mark a fellow laborer in the gospel with him. And then a few years later, one more mention of, of, of Mark in the Bible is in 2 Timothy. Paul gets arrested again after he's released from prison, and he ends up losing his head this time. He dies for the gospel. 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote before he you know, dies. So he's waiting in prison. Everybody has forsaken him. And he says... Only Luke, verse 11, 2 Timothy 4, 11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So we see someone completely restored to faith and to usefulness by God. There was means like people with Peter, like not like Peter who worked with him and, and Barnabas who worked with him. And ultimately he was restored to a place where he did great works. And we have a lasting emblem to mark right before us. We don't know much about what happened uh, with him. As I said, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, yeah, Peter calls Mark his son in the faith. We don't know much about what happened with uh, Mark after this. But here's what tradition tells us. Paul died in AD 63 under Nero's persecution. Uh, by the way, apologetically, there were so many Christians in Rome within 30 years 
of the death of Christ. There were so many Christians in Rome, mostly slaves and, and people like that who had believed upon Christ, that Nero blamed the Christians for burning Rome. Uh, that's, that's just A.D. 63 or A.D. 62, somewhere around there. And that started a persecution of Christians in which Paul lost his head. Peter also was alleged to have been crucified upside down around that same time. Fast forward a few years after that. Nero's gone. The next, the next uh, Nero is gone. The next uh, emperor has come in. Some light, some persecution of Christians kind of lightens a little bit, but not within particular areas. Mark is alleged to have taken the gospel to Alexandria, Egypt, where he began to preach Christ, and he ended up and the, and let and not legend, but uh, but uh, tradition tells us that they killed him there for preaching Christ. Uh, they put a rope around his neck and dragged him through the streets by by horse until he died. But he died for died in the faith around AD sixty eight. That's the Mark that wrote this book. So now let's get back to the words. How does he, I want us just just to see how he starts this book and why it's important. He says here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the starting point is really instructive. He says, he's he's not mincing words here. He's not, he's not, he's not, Giving rhetoric, he's not. He's not. Uh, he's not trying to butter you up, butter his reader up, or or, or, or anything else like that. He, he's he's getting straight to the point. I'm going to talk about the gospel, and here's where it starts. <laughs> that's where he just comes in, and that's what he does. He says the beginning of God, and and this falls out just like the rest of the book. This is the beginning of the gospel, and then immediately this, immediately this, immediately this, all the way throughout the rest of the book. He's not mincing words. He's getting straight to the point that he wants to get to. Mark contextually begins with his narrative of John the Baptist. What does he consider the beginning? It's John the Baptist. Um, and who's John the Baptist? But the person who announced who Jesus was. Uh, he's the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one that I was telling you about, the one that's coming after me. That's who John the Baptist was. And... The starting point tells us what the writer believed was important to his hearer. For instance, Matthew was written to the Jews. So where does Matthew start? Matthew starts the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Why is that important? Because everything to the Jews was about that covenant to Abraham and this covenant to David. And he says that's who Christ is. Luke was writing to a Greeks. He, he says he was writing to a specific Greek named Theophilus. And Luke uh, spends two chapters talking about the incarnation itself, Jesus Christ being born into the world. Why? Because the Greeks did not believe uh, in the validity of the physical world. Uh, they believed the physical world was evil, and, 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 and if God was working at all, he would work, it would be like this, this platonic categories, something else, but not God made flesh. That was an offense to them. And Luke labored for, with the Greek mind to talk about the incarnation and the birth of Christ. Mark thought the beginning was simply this. Why did he, because he wanted to, John actually had a different starting point. Where did John start? 
He started in eternity with the, son, with the word of God, the son of God, in eternal fellowship with the father who came down to where we are. And he had a different reason. He wanted to talk about the Christ of our faith. John, Mark was doing something else. Mark was writing to a Roman audience about a king that came to conquer. And where does he start? He started with the historical context. Where did the conflict between Christ and this, and this present world start? It started the moment John the Baptist announced Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus Christ said of John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 11 through 14. He said, Before, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater than John the Baptist. But I say the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then he says, Since the time of, the, since the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the, violence take it, and the violent take it by force. What is he saying? He says John started a conflict. The prophets prophesied until John. Now Christ is here. Since John pointed Jesus Christ out, the real conflict with this world began. So a military campaign started here almost. John was, to, was the point at which the kingdom of Christ came into conflict with this world. And to his Roman audience, that was important. Because it's couching it in what was happening in real events, in an honor-based society where it was all about what was what has actually happened, and he lay, and he lays out this is what happened. He says, "It is the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That which conflicts with the sinful world is good news. What was prior to this was the bad news, right? So, this is the good news. It is not. He's not." But what is the good news in this verse? He says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news is a person. I've got good news for you. The good news is, is there someone who can help you? Right? I'm not, he's not offering a moral philosophy. He's not offering a philosophy. He's not offering a discipline or a religion. He says the good news is Jesus Christ. That's a subject. Uh, that of Jesus Christ is a what we call a subjective genitive. What's the gospel about? Keeping the Ten Commandments? No. What's the gospel about? It's about Jesus. It's not about Jesus and ten things you have to do or fifteen things that you need hoops that you need to jump through. It's not about a moral philosophy. It's not about you turning over a new leaf and you doing this, doing this. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Jesus said what? I am the way. Is it warm in here? <laughs> All right. I thought I was the only one. Uh, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I come to teach you about a way. For I came to teach you about a truth. He says, I am it. And that's what, this is what Mark says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel which is about Jesus. The good news which is about Jesus. And then he throws in, he throws in an at what we would call an apposition. So read this verse. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you have a comma. Right? And it says, 
the Son of God. The Son of God. So that's an apposition. That, that means that's defining who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. Now, what does it mean to be the Son of God? Now, that's not, I mean, it says, beloved, now are we the sons of God or the children of God. But not, not the same way that Jesus. It says he's the only begotten, the monogenes. He's the only unique and true, real Son of God. The very image of God. Uh, not, not, not created, but, for, but having the same nature. Like, I'm a human being. If I have a son, what kind of nature does that son have? You see, see, see the issue why, that, why, the, why the Jews, when he says, I and my father are one, they picked up stones. And he says, well, for many good works I have done in my, in, in my father's name, for which of those do you stone me? And he says, for none of those good works do we stone you, but you called yourself God's son, making yourself equal with God of the same substance, of the same nature. That's, that's the claim. A dog begets a dog. Uh, um, a human begets a human. What does God beget? And by the way, I always ask, I have to ask my Jehovah's Witness friends, when did, if the Bible says God never changes in his nature, when did God become a father? That's a change, right? No, he's eternally the father and he's eternally the son. Eternally begotten of the Father is the way that the old divines talked about. But he was saying something by that phrase, the Son of God. This is the very nature of God has come to humanity. And that was important. Uh, he, he was the Son of God who has himself come to the sinner. See, when Jesus says something like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, what that means is, all of this is monogenistic. Monogenistic means it's one word. Uh, let me get, uh, to explain what I mean by this word. The good news is, is God came 100% of the way to you. The bad news is, is we couldn't get there from here. We, could, we couldn't build our Tower of Babel and get high enough to get to Him. We couldn't. We couldn't do these things and make up for all the bad things we've done. We couldn't do it. We, we, we can't get to God. So he came all the way to us. So that, that, that's the important. So, he, so if, you wanted to, if you wanted to restate this sentence as this, this is the beginning of the gospel which is all about Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. That's how this very first verse reads. And everything else is just footnotes to that truth. And it's overwhelming. The overwhelming evidence is that the Son of God is the is is this is the reading. So there, there are people say, well, so a couple of the manu old manuscripts don't have Son of God in there. Well, almost all of them do. In fact, the earliest ones do. And 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 this is the authentic reading. This is what early Christians believed. This is the authentic reading of Scripture. He is. The Son of God. Uh, I want to read this quote to you from Barnes, and I'm going to quit. Because, A, it's hot. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to, my, my wife's feeling bad, so I'm going to try to get home and take care of her in a second. Uh, but I appreciate the offer. But, but Barnes says this, The Son of God, this was a title was used to attract attention. Remember, he's talking to Romans. This is used to attract attention. 
to secure respect of those who read the gospel. It is no common history. It does not recount the deeds of a man, a hero or a philosopher, but the doctrines of the doings of the very Son of God. The history, therefore, commands respect. So when Paul wrote this, or not Paul, but when Mark wrote this gospel, he wrote this intentionally. He says, this is about the Son of God. This, and the Roman ears, the ear is saying, okay, this is important. This is not, we're not talking about some dude somewhere. We're not talking about a gladiator or something like that. We're talking about the actual Son of God. Some have thought that the good news, like I said, is a philosophy, a discipline, a moral practice, or a body politic. It's none of those things. It's about the Son of God coming here. And it's about the Son of God walking this earth. It's about the Son of God doing great works. It's about the Son of God being nailed to a cross, not for himself, but for our sins. It's about the Son of God rising again. It's about the Son of God being the way, the truth, and the life. It's about us finding life and forgiveness and all things in him. So when the Roman reader read this, they were like, that's what this is about. They didn't get any further than the very first few words of Mark to learn that the good news is all about a person and nothing else. Uh, Another quote I want to give you. um, The good news is the greatest of all. Son of God came, came in... And in him is life and liberty and all things. Uh, Benson said in his notes, Mark gives him a title the most likely as being the most august to engage the attention and obedience of the Romans who read his book, those lords of the earth to the religion which was promulgated by him. Paul calls it the gospel of God, Romans 1 verse 1. Mark is following suit. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what I, I want to couch this in the Bible says in John 1 18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. That's the bad news, right? We can't get there from here. But the only begotten Son, some read that, the only begotten God, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he declared him. We know God through Christ. Uh, the one that was in the bosom of the Father is the one that came. Why? What the amazing thing is, is this is early Christianity. This is what the early Christians believed about Christ. And this very thing, Son of God, was supposed to be the shame that nailed him to the cross. You remember the, you remember the, uh, the Jews, uh, John 19... 17, somewhere around there. Uh, seven, I can't remember the exact verse, but in John 19, they're telling Pilate why they want Jesus to die. Because a couple hours later, in, in, in Caiaphas' house, in an illegal trial, he says, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of the living God? And he says, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in clouds. He quotes Daniel about the Messiah and declares plainly he's the Messiah and declares plainly he is the Lord of Psalm 110. But he says, he rent his clothes and says, you heard his blasphemy. When standing before Pilate, the Jews said, we have a law and he said he was the son of God and anybody who says that must die. That's why they said he was a blasphemer. 
That's why they told the Roman government he's, he's, try, he's trying to set himself up as a king. He's, he says he's the son of God. In fact, they mocked him at the cross for it. If you're the son of God, come down. Right? This was supposed to be an embarrassment. This was supposed to be a, a blot. This was supposed to be a blasphemy. And, by the way, the early disciples ran away when they arrested him and were cowering in the upper room when he rose again. Why? Because they were afraid that since they believed him, they were going to die too. But this is what the early Christians believed and taught. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is what we have believed, Christians have believed, generation after generation after generation after generation. I believe tonight that I am part of this very same faith. Now, do I have everything perfect yet? No, I don't. But I am part of a faith of people for 2,000 years that have believed this one truth, that that man who was on the cross, who said he died for my sins, was the very Son of God. And because of that, Hebrews chapter 7, he's able to save to the uttermost. You know, there's been a lot of people, a lot of kings that have called themselves the Son of Heaven and their kingdoms are gone. Their, their, their thrones have been laid ruin. You have to dig through miles of dirt to get, <laughs> I mean, several feet of dirt to even learn that they were even here. The gospel of the Son of God is still going forward. It's, it's an amazing thing to me that this is my faith that I'm reading. And this was the people that saw him. And this is the faith that would have got them killed. They gladly declared over and over again, He's risen. The Son of God is alive. And we have salvation in Him. I commend the book of Mark to you. I, I pray that you'll take the thoughts here and of the very first thing and read the book of Mark. It'll cause you to be out of breath by the time you're done because it's immediately this, immediately that, immediately that because He's just trying to tell you about a man, the man who came in whom salvation is and all that He did to bring salvation to us. Uh, any questions, complaints, grievances? <laughs> All right. Well, amen. Amen. Uh, it's whatever you all want to do. I'm going to be here every Monday. Uh, if you all want to get into apologetics, we can. Uh, as I got more stuff on the book of Mark, I can present it to you. Uh, whatever you want. I'm, I'm kind of slow, and it takes me a while to build up my build up my stuff. But if you, Hey, y'all want to close in a word of prayer? Uh, who wants to pray for us? Go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. Um, we thank you for the message that you sent our way.